Welcome to the Gray Zone. I'm Max Blumenthal, and I'm going to be talking today to a true dissident who is living in Berlin, Germany. His name is CJ Hopkins. He is the author of a book that is effectively banned in Germany, and he's now being prosecuted for the cover of that book. He's also being prosecuted for a tweet where he is accused of insulting the German version of Anthony Fauci, Karl Lauterbach. And we're going, and, 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 and CJ has essentially been, he has actually been found guilty by a German court of thought crimes and faces 60 days in prison or a 3,600 euro fine. This is the cover of CJ Hopkins' book, the rise of the new normal Reich. And I was proud to blurb this book. Now, here's the parting question. You can barely see this, but it's a swastika inside a mask, which he has portrayed as a symbol of mass compliance. And he has been found guilty for the cover of that book. And that book is effectively banned in Germany. So to discuss this situation and the broader environment political environment in post-covid current proxy war germany we're joined by cj hopkins now cj great to see you welcome back thanks for having me back max i appreciate it well i'm sorry it's under such uh repressive circumstances but i guess after the first time i talked i we after our first conversation i wasn't surprised that the German state has taken this action against you. So I guess just to describe what happened. Yeah, let me uh, let me just try to uh, be clear about it a little bit. Um, uh, you described it uh, pretty well. The uh, what happened is in in uh, June I got a letter from the Berlin State Prosecutor uh, notifying me that I was under criminal investigation uh, for two tweets. Uh, that's the, those are the actual charges. Is is two tweets. And uh, um, so uh, I got a German lawyer and uh, the lawyer uh, responded to the state prosecutor. First of all, just asked them, what are the tweets? Because they didn't even uh, tell us uh, what the tweets were originally. And then it turned out the two tweets were exactly what you said. It was the cover art of my book that I used in two tweets. In the first tweet, um, it was, uh, it was, there was a campaign in uh, Germany on Twitter going around at the time. It was when they were considering uh, ending the mask mandates and there was a fanatical campaign going on uh, uh, in English. It's basically people saying the masks stay on, you know, and they were trying to whip up support to continue the mandates. And so I tweeted uh, the cover art of the book and I wrote in German, uh, but in English it was uh, uh, basically I said, uh, uh, yeah, the masks are uh, ideological conformity symbols, and that's all they are. That's all they've ever been. Uh, you know, stop. You know, stop pretending that they're anything else, or get used to wearing them. And uh, yeah, there you can see the the hashtag from the uh, you know the German uh, uh, thing on Twitter. And the second tweet was this tweet. You got it up on the screen. Uh, Karl Lauterbach, our uh, health minister, uh, gave one of his many interviews to Die Welt, and uh, they quoted him. Uh, it, that basically says in English, you know, the, uh, the masks always send a signal out. 
And I saw that and I thought, yeah, that's exactly my point. That's what they're for. That's what they do. So I threw my cover art uh, from the book on that again and just quoted him and put the date on it, as, as you could see. Um, and so those those are my hate crimes. Um, you know, for that, I am charged with, uh, and this is a quote, uh, uh, I'm charged with uh, disseminating propaganda, the intention of which is to further the aims of a former national socialist organization, end quote. <clears throat> so basically I'm charged, for these two tweets, I'm charged with, you know, uh, supporting and furthering the cause of the Nazis. Uh, that was in June. Of a right. national socialist organization or the national socialist organization? Because there is a designated hate group in Germany called the NSO. Yeah, no, this is the wording of the law is a national, a former national socialist organization. Okay. Uh, they, they, they mean the Nazis. Yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, so we got the tweets. My attorney responded to those tweets. We heard nothing back. The next thing I know, I don't know, a week, 10 days ago, um, we get uh, what in, uh, in German, it's a Strafbefehl. Um, in English, it, it translates as an order of punishment. Um, so basically, that's advising me that uh, I'm going to be punished uh, for this, uh, for these hate crimes. Uh, you said it, a fine of 3,600 euro or 60 days in jail. Um, and uh, yeah, it's bizarre. That's, that's where we are. Uh, what comes next is that I go to some sort of Kafkaesque trial where uh, this trial will be in front of the judge that order, already issued the order of punishment. Uh, so you can imagine how that's going to go. And, and then there's, uh, you know, a lengthy appeal process to follow. But they've already found you guilty. So what is the point of the next trial? I mean, do they just lecture so, you sternly? No, there's a chance. There's a chance that this could, you know, be stopped and overturned. There's a whole, there's an appeals process. We, you know, it's a strange system here. Um, uh, Basically, the 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 Strafbefehl that I just got says, you know, if we don't hear from you within two weeks, you know, you're guilty and this is your punishment, right? Um, but we're allowed. We have there are several steps. We can go now in front of the same judge, and my lawyer can make the same arguments that he's already exhaustively made in writing in front of this judge, and uh, presumably this judge is going to decide the same thing that he's already decided. And then I'll have to pay those court costs. And then we'll uh, uh, appeal that to the appeals court. Um, and uh, the appeals court could overturn it. Uh, the, the appeals court could overturn the decision. Um, and if they don't, we'll go past that. Uh, you know, I, I, I met with my lawyer this week and I'm, I'm committed to uh, uh, taking this process all the way through uh, to the end. You know, some people are telling me it could end up in the constitutional court, you know, which is basically the Supreme Court of Germany. So the judge, the initial judge who found you guilty, rejected your free speech argument. Uh, on, on, on what grounds did the judge justify that rejection? Because to me and pretty much everyone watching this, it seems like in any society that declares itself a liberal democracy, this kind of speech should be protected. And, and it is protected. Let me answer your question first. Uh, 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 the judge cited no grounds, uh, no explanation. 
nothing. Uh, just here's the judgment, and uh, and this is going to be executed in two weeks uh, unless you schedule this Kafkaesque trial. Um, uh, just just so people are clear, because a lot of Americans really don't understand or, or have a, a misunderstanding of of the, the speech laws in Germany, you know, yes, they're nowhere near as strong as the First Amendment. They're based on, uh, you know, basically Article 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, like a lot of European uh, countries. Uh, but there are protections here. Um, this law, a lot of people, I think, assume that, you know, swastikas are completely banned and outlawed and you can never display a swastika in Germany. And this is not true. Of course, if you're a Nazi and you're promoting Nazism, of course that's banned. Um, you know, and even though I'm a free speech absolutist, I understand that it's Germany for God's sake. Uh, but there are specifically exceptions written into the German law. There are exceptions for art. There are exceptions for satire. There are exceptions for educational purposes. And there are specifically exceptions for people who are, uh, are protesting or countering anti-constitutional activity, uh, which is exactly what, you know, I have just done for about three years, um, you know, all of the, all of the measures, all of the Corona measures, all of the, you know, the abrogation of the constitution and everything was all completely anti-constitutional. Uh, so there are, there are very clear exceptions written into the German law uh, to protect even what I did, you know, even, even what I did. So there are absolutely free speech protections in Germany. And the, the you know, the judge is ignoring them. The, the authorities are ignoring them. The thing that's, the thing that is alarming and absurd about this, Max, is that there's not even, uh, you know, there's not a, there's absolutely no plausible, logical argument for these charges. You know, it, it takes about, if you didn't know me from Adam, it would take you about two minutes you know, to research my, you know, 30 year history of work on the stage and in public in publications and determine what my character is and what my intentions are. It did take about two minutes. And these people aren't idiots. You know, they know who I am. My attorney has explained all of this to them. Yeah. This is this is this is intimidation and it's retribution. And I think it is part of the larger, broader crackdown on dissent that is happening everywhere. I just, I just saw your, your, the gray zones fundraising uh, campaign just got, uh, you know, canceled and taken down. Uh, you know, the DSA just went through uh, into effect here. Ireland yeah. is shoved, Ireland is, is ramming a, you know, an incredibly authoritarian speech bill through it's happening in the UK. I, I think my case is just one you know, of many, many examples of this, of this crackdown on dissent. Yeah. And we've talked to, uh, Heinrich Booker of the Anti-War Co-op Cafe, who's been prosecuted for bringing up Germany's support for Ukrainian Nazi battalions like the Azov Battalion. We've spoken to Alina Lipp, who's been prosecuted by the German state simply for reporting from the wrong side of the war, from the uh, pro-Russian separatist areas of the Donbass. Uh, she's had her bank account seized and uh, cannot, cannot return to Germany. So this is part of a larger trend. We're going to talk about Ireland and the DSA as well. And yes, GoFundMe has not banned us or taken us down. What they've done is they've frozen all donations on the grounds of some external concerns. And they don't offer us any due process. 
So at least you're given uh, the illusion of due process. And what we have to do is now go to everyone and ask them to ask for a refund uh, and then set up a separate fundraiser. It's this neoliberal model where the privately owned corporations are covertly influenced and controlled by the state. And we have no, it's, a, it's an end around free, it's a way of getting around free speech protection. So that's something that I think you talk about in the rise of the new normal in your writing is how the, you know, the old free speech protections going through the court, going through appeals, that's yesterday. This is a new normal. And um, I guess that kind of feeds into my next question, because when we talked, we were still in the thick of the COVID event. And, you know, uh, Carl Lauterbach and company were calling for exclusively lockdowns of the unvaccinated or what I call mm. the untervaccinated. Uh, <laughs> and and, and now, now we're sort of past that. Many Americans want to forget about this. Um, I assume many Germans do as well. But, it, you know, it flowed seamlessly into the Ukraine proxy war. You're still deluged in propaganda. We just talked about some of the repression that's rising. So so how, how, how are you experiencing the new normal now in Germany? What you And, and explain what you meant, meant by the new normal Reich. Yeah, sure. Um, it, and, and thank you, because I just wanted to make this clear. A lot of people are also misunderstanding this. You know, the title of my book, uh, you know, The Rise of the New Normal Reich, does not refer to Germany alone. You know, I'll, if you read the book or, and you look at my essays, I, you know, I, I covered all of this from the very beginning in March of 2020. Um, and I covered it uh, everywhere. It, it's a global, it was a global phenomenon. It's still a global phenomenon. I covered events in the USA. I covered events in the UK, Canada, Australia. Um, it's, uh, that title is not a reference to Germany. The, the new normal Reich is, you know, is a global Reich, if I want to stay with the metaphor. Um, and it just means uh, regime. I mean, you're using the, your it just layout. means empire. Yeah. It just means yeah. empire. You know, it's another word for empire, imperium or Reich. Um, uh, I, you know, for anyone who doesn't uh, realize it also probably good to know that the, that book cover that you put up a couple times, my book cover is playing off of William Shirer's, you know, classic international bestseller, uh, the rise and fall of the third Reich, uh, my brilliant, uh, cover artist, Anthony Freda and I, what we did is we said, okay, we're going to, we're going to basically copy Shirer's book cover, um, you know, with some changes. And uh, on Shira's book, uh, there's just the white circle with the swastika in it on the book cover. Um, and what we did is we covered that swastika up with the, yeah, there it is right there. Um, uh, we covered it up with the medical looking masks that we were all being forced to wear. Um, and that was our, you know, satirical artistic uh, uh, statement. Um, you asked me about, you know, the new normal and, and, and where we are now. Um, it's, it's, we're in a different phase. Uh, you know, Max, I, I, I described what happened during 2020 to 2022, say to, in, in some into this year, a little bit, but really 2022, I described that as the shock and awe phase, right? And, and the shock and awe phase is over. You know, that's, uh, people may remember this from the invasion, U.S. invasion of Iraq. You know, it's when you go in and blow the hell out of everything and scare everybody to death and take over the country. The shock and awe phase is over. I think the phase that we're in now, I've been describing it as the 
mistakes were made phase, you know, and it's also the the limited hangout phase. And if if, yeah. if people people go back and look at um, you know look at the aftermath of the U.S. invasion of, of Iraq, these are classic stages. You know, this is this is where the powers that be kind of process everything that happened and they admit to, you know, small things so that they don't have to talk about large things. And they say, oh, yeah, well, we weren't exactly right about this. But it ends up just reinforcing the whole official narrative that by this time has been planted and locked in uh, to society. So I think we're in we're in that phase. It's a different phase. It's a subtler phase. And what I'm seeing is just all of the classic hallmarks of this uh, phase, uh, the the you know the the official pandemic narrative is being enshrined as official history, um, yeah. w- with you know with my well, revisionist history. Revisionist. Yes. I mean, Fauci has said uh, I never called for anyone to be locked down, which is a straight up lie. Bill Gates has said something similar that you know the lockdowns were. Um, you know, we were going to need better lockdowns. And he also said, we're going to need better vaccines when at the time they were saying, this is like the gold standard. Uh, Carl Lauterbach also, I mean, here's a tweet by Carl Lauterbach at the time. Uh, You know, he's saying you're correct. uh, And he's attacking a minority of society that does not want a vaccination without side effects, even though it is free and can save their lives. Um, you know, he's basically saying it is without side effects. And then Carl Lauterbach later had to acknowledge uh, hundreds of thousands of reported vaccine injuries in his health ministry system this March. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it's like, everyone's just forgotten and he's not held accountable. Right. Uh, and, and, and that is what really shocks me. Isn't just that the officials of the new normal who guided this regime are squirming out of their previous statements, which created so much public consent for disastrous policies, but that the public is willing to let them squirm away. And I would assume that Germans have been more compliant uh, with the continuation of the new normal than Americans. Um, But yes, what's your sense? Yes, they have. I mean, you know, Ger- uh, Germany is a much more homogenous culture, um, yeah. and uh, and and uh, it's basically a more authoritarian culture. People are more uh, inclined to follow orders. Um, uh, uh, so yes, I agree. And there's a lot. There's you know, thank thank God there was so much division um, in the states. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've never been so happy for uh, you know. Uh, loud conservative pushback in my life. Um, uh, I, I, I was really grateful for the for the division and yeah. pushback in in the states. Um, I never thanked God for Republicans before. <laughs> right, um, uh, and I've met a great. You know, I've, I'm in contact with a bunch of great people because of it. Um, yeah. The things that you know, what you were talking about, the example that you just put up, Max. This is exactly what I mean by the mistakes were made phase. Um, you know, this is this is where some of their lies get exposed and they come out and say, oh, all right, okay, that's not what I, I, what, and it gets processed and it goes down the memory hole and nobody cares. And the official narrative is nonetheless cemented in place. Um, And it, this is, it's, it's classic for this, for this phase. 
Yeah. And, and so what are you planning to do just within your own life after being named a hate <clears throat> criminal in Germany? Will you be deported? I mean, I was essentially branded a hate criminal without being convicted because I supported the Palestinian call for boycott of Israeli Israeli products, Israeli state manufactured uh, products, and so on. Uh, and I came to Germany to speak about the war on Gaza that Israel just waged that I covered, and I was branded an anti-Semite on Berliner Morgenpost, and then that followed with Der Spiegel calling me an anti-Semite, and pretty much every German paper. Um, and it, you know, created an atmosphere around me that made me feel like I wasn't wanted by mainstream German society, and like there might be a torchlit mob showing up wherever I'm staying. Um, but you live there. You've actually been found guilty by a German court of being a hate criminal. Do you feel that this society has ejected you? Are you planning to leave? Or are you going to, you know, make your stand? Uh, yes, and uh, and and I'll admit this to all of the people. That, you know, for years people have been writing to me, uh, you know, and replying to tweets and stuff, and and basically saying, you know, you idiot, what are you still doing there? You know, yeah. what, what kind of a moron are you? Get out of Germany! Get out now! And I've been pushing back to those people and trying to tell them, hey, you know, I've lived here for almost 20 years. I'm dug in. My wife has a business here. I'm not rich. I can't just, you know, pick up my life and move. And and also, I don't like being bullied. I don't like being, uh, you know, pushed out of uh, someplace that I've set up as home. Uh, and I've been saying this to people for years and years. And I just want to say to those people, okay, I, you know, I got it. I'm going. <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> Um, I can't. I can't just pick up and move, Max. It's it's going to take me a while. But uh, the long story short, I had a long talk with my wife about this the other night, and where I ended up with, I, I said, you know, baby, what it comes down to is that if I stay here, I will not be able to respect myself. Um, is is what it is. I mean, a, a country and a and a society um, that has gone this far you know, in our day and age and and is willing to dish out this type of treatment, um, you know, to someone like me in this absurd situation. Uh, I, I cannot, I can't stay here and respect myself. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm making plans and, and figuring out how to make that transition. It's, it's going to take a while. It's not going to happen overnight, but uh, yes, I'm gone. I mean, is this a tragic decision for you or do you feel a sense of relief? Uh, well, you know, I, I got here, you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, I, I got here because I wanted to bail out of the States. I could not take the atmosphere after 9-11, after the invasion of Iraq and, you know, all of, of our fruitless work trying to prevent uh, that from happening. Um, and I just felt so demoralized and, and humiliated and I had been bouncing around in Europe and I liked the culture. Um, and so I ended up here and, I, and I, I really didn't think about the longer term, but after a while I figured, yeah, this is it. You know, I, I guess I've set up a home in, in, in Berlin and this is where I'm going to be. So I did not have any plans to leave. And, and as I said, my wife has got a business here and, you know, there's, we have a circle of friends and everything. Um, the uh, being, being driven out of Germany by this new uh, form of totalitarianism 
uh, was not in my plans at all. Uh, it's not what I wanted. Well, I mean, I'm here in Washington, D.C. People <laughs> urge me to leave all the time. I've had some experiences being jailed under false charges uh, for activism I participated in, challenging the U.S. coup against Venezuela. I was told not to use GoFundMe. Uh, people tell me to get off YouTube, use this alternative, get off uh, this site and use this alternative site. And my view is, you know, make me because <laughs> yeah. if, if, if they make me and I'm following the law and I'm actually following their terms of service, then at least I'm you're pro they're proving my point about the facade of liberal democracy in the West and the reality of what Sheldon Wolin called inverted totalitarianism, where liberal democracy mm -hmm. is simply used as a tool by unaccountable governing elites and people who aren't even elected to maintain the consent of the majority of people who still believe they're living in a democracy. Mm -hmm. I, I think Germany might be one of the more ex most extreme models of what Wolin describes. And I think you're kind of the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Uh, uh, you know, I understand that perfectly. Um, and I laughed because that has been my stance, uh, even here in Germany for the past few years is, you know, make me, uh, I'm not going anywhere. You're not, not going to bully me out of here. Um, and I think I got to the point this time, um, with the actual criminal proceedings, where, you know, just to be honest, Max, uh, I did the same thing in the U.S. I felt like, you know, I stayed there and I fought for as long as I could. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I don't do what you do. I'm not a I'm, I'm, I'm not a professional journalist. I'm not, you know, I'm a, I'm a satirist. I'm an author um, and what have you. Uh, uh, so uh, I bailed out of the States. And what I got to this time with this is, you know, this is it's not my home country. <clears throat> and uh and I just, I don't need to take this. Uh, uh, it, it comes down to what I said. I, I, I don't feel like if I stay here, I don't feel like I can, I can respect myself. I'm going, I'm going to fight this fight all the way out to the end and take it as, as far as it can go because I want to shine as much light on uh, this crackdown on, on dissent. And again, I'm just one tiny part of this broader crackdown that's going on. I'm going to take, I'm going to fight this as far as I can uh, go with it. And I'll definitely stay for that. But once the dust has settled for, for this, you know, I'm, I just turned 62 years old. I, I, I don't want to get old and die here. Well, I understand. Actually, uh, during the COVID event met so many people from Australia, Canada, and the US, but mostly Canada and Australia and some Europeans in this beach town in Nicaragua who had just left permanently because they could, they were, and they weren't even dissidents. These were small business owners, just regular people. They were terrified of what was going to come after this uh, event, if it ever ended. So I made a short documentary about them that's on our YouTube channel. Um, but there are many other people I knew in Europe who were talking about moving and didn't know where to go or didn't have the means to go anywhere. And uh, so I think your situation is that you've, I've, you've certainly made your point <laughs> about Germany. I don't know if you have any future uh, projects planned about this saga, um, but mm -hmm. you're continuing to write at your Substack. 
about it. And I think there's so much to say because, as I said, you're a canary in the coal mine, not just for what's happening in Germany, but for what's happening globally. Um, I want to play an exchange that took place, I think, in the Irish Parliament. Um, and you mentioned this before about Ireland's new laws on misinformation and hate speech, uh, which are very vague. And here you have uh, the media minister of Ireland being challenged by the press about what constitutes misinformation. And I want to get your reaction to this because I assume, you know, you're basically being accused of the same thing. The EU Digital Services Act came into effect, which will attempt to regulate so-called misinformation on social media platforms. And your own government's electoral commission will fulfill a similar role nationally. So is it not dangerous for democracy that powerful state institutions will get to decide what is and isn't true? I think this is actually the, a very important development um, for Ireland. So while the, the European Commission, um, you know, leads on implementation and and, and enforcement, uh, you know, provides the member states to to establish to of establishment, you know, to share responsibility depending on the circumstances of any particular situation. I think what we've done with Commission um, Neman uh, and, and setting that up as a regulator um, will will protect children. Um, mostly, uh, uh, that's the priority, children um, from harmful content online, and I, I, I welcome this today. Sure, but I'm asking about the misinformation side of it specifically, whatever about child protection, that's a whole separate issue. I mean, is it right for government and state institutions to be able to say what is and isn't true? Look, I, we, we have, um, when it comes to misinformation, it's actually a point to the, the whole value of public service broadcasting and why we need a, a reliable um, information. And I think under the, the DSA, you'll see that every state will designate a body to, to the, the DSC. And we have that uh, person um, that was John Evans was appointed as a digital services commissioner in Ancomishun. And, and I, I welcome the development. But, but I'm sorry, that's, that's not an answer to the question. I'm asking you, do you think it's right and healthy for democracy for the government and the state to be able to decide what is and isn't true? Is, is, have, you, have you done any assessments, for example, to make sure that these regulations aren't abused or, or overused? I, I think everything that, that we see in misinformation, um, anything that can prevent misinformation is to be welcomed. So, so you haven't done any assessment then to well, the, ensure the that DSA this isn't abused? The would, DSA would, would, um, would lie with uh, Minister Coveney's department, but Commissioner Neman lies with me. Minister, okay. in relation. Minister, just on the Digital Services Act again, is, is it really good enough that you, you felt answered the question earlier about whether or not it's acceptable for the state to uh, regulate information that people are allowed to say and decide what is true or false? Is, is, should people be encouraged by the fact that the minister can't answer a simple question when we're literally regulating I think truth I'm quite, itself? I'm quite clear on the need to tackle misinformation. And actually, everything that we're do, dealing with now uh, points to the value of public service broadcasting and the immense a valuable role it played during, for example, the question pandemic. No, none of this has anything I, to I do with the question of us. So that, that was interesting how she brought up the role of public broadcasting during the pandemic at the end. She sort of seamlessly transitioned from uh, websites <clears throat> and online content that harms children and just misinformation. When I would think that the content that harms children is not misinformation, but um, coercion into harmful activity. And there's plenty of it online. It's easy to define. It would be easy for her to call out the media minister of Ireland, but she doesn't do so. And so it really highlights the dangerous world we're in with free speech when misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, whatever that is, 
is being determined arbitrarily by states. And then you have this European DSA. So CJ Hopkins, what, what is the DSA? Why do you think it's dangerous? And what's your reaction to that exchange there in Ireland? Uh, the uh, I, I I've seen that I saw that uh, uh, I'm actually connected to that to that journalist um, who who grilled her so I I had seen that clip before and it's remarkable um, <clears throat> rather than going into a a big detailed thing about the DSA or any of these new laws that are that are being pushed through they are all bar- basically variations on a theme um, and what they are about is 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 uh, codifying the ability of uh, states working with corporations uh, to censor or visibility filter um, our free speech by using with using terms using these vague these ill-defined terms uh, like misinformation and disinformation and uh, malinformation, which is. Uh, apparently true information, but it's bad. You know, it's bad information. <laughs> um, um, and, uh, you know, terms like hate speech, you know, it's, it's what is that exactly? Um, if you think about all of these terms that are being rolled out and used as pretexts to control and manipulate our our speech, our, our free speech and our freedom of expression, um, these terms are not, they're not political terms. They're not even... Uh, legal uh, terms. They're, they're sort of just pathological uh, terms. Uh, to the, the, they're, they're essentially meaningless and strategic. They're just meant to sort of brand and, and demonize whatever the authorities want to brand and demonize. What I thought was remarkable about that exchange in Ireland is, is that it demonstrated uh, a point that I've been trying to make. Um, can I use foul language on your show, Max? Uh, yeah, we'll just have to bleep oh. it out for Pacifica Radio. <laughs> okay, I'll 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 tone down my foul my foul language, and maybe it'll get through. You know, the 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 journalist was pressing the minister and 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 saying, "Will you answer the you know the question? You know, is, do you think it's right for that to decide?" And basically, if you cut through all of the double speak, her answer was, "Screw you." Screw you. We yeah. don't have to we don't have to explain ourselves to you anymore. What what we're going to do, we have these words, these terms, and we're going to use these terms to justify controlling speech however we want to. Right. And and you know, we could talk about the DSA for two hours and the Irish bill for two hours, the UK bill for two hours, but that is essentially what this comes down to. It's happening. It's happening in countries throughout the West, and and it it is essentially basically the powers that be decided. Wow, we need to shut this down. We need to establish some controls over what people can read and see and say on the internet, and we're going to push all these bills through and all these these laws through to legitimize what we want to do. This is the. This is the broader crackdown on dissent, on dissent that I'm talking about. And if people aren't paying attention to it, they really, really need to. And, and it's it's sort of justified through the mass hysteria that comes about <clears throat> through a psychological operation that, you know, generates, you know, they generate fear and hysteria among the public to 
nudge the public into a certain behavior, whether it's displaying uh, nationalism and support for a war effort like the NATO proxy war in Ukraine or for uh, mandates of, you know, the, the jab mandates, the mask mandates and total compliance around COVID. Um, and you wrote so trenchantly about the mass conformity during the COVID event, which was brought about through fear, through just outright lying by officials like Karl Lauterbach. What do you see? Do you see anything on the horizon, another event that could accelerate this process of de-democratization and um, you know, state corporate state control over speech? I, I, I do, and and I want to avoid you know getting into a long digression you know with my usual uh, stuff that you you know my usual shtick that you know and people can read yeah. uh, online. But um, the short version is you know I've I've been tracking this evolution uh, since way before uh, you know 2020 uh, you know way back to Brexit and uh, Trump and uh, you know the the whole rise of the populist pushback against. Uh, right. You know, the hegemony of global capitalist ideology. I've been tracking it and I see this as one movement that that has been evolving. There's a line that runs through all this. And what it's all about is, is you know, uh, we don't have to really do democracy anymore like we used to. <clears throat> right. We 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 control the entire planet. When I say we, and that's where it gets complicated and I don't want to get bogged down and if people can read about it. I'm talking about a global ideological system that is very complex, but nonetheless, nonetheless, it's a global capitalist world, folks. You know, one big global capitalist world. It, they don't have any outside adversaries on that ultimate level. There's no ideological adversary to global capitalism. You know, I, when I say global cap, I'm talking about the I'm talking about China and Russia, just like every other country on the planet. Uh, there's there's no outside adversary anymore. The only thing that that this system has left to do is clear and halt, tighten control, identify pockets of resistance, any type of resistance, whether it is uh, Russia trying to hold on to its national sovereignty, uh, Iran trying to hold on to its national sovereignty, you know, there are numerous examples, you know, or, or you know, right-wing populism rising up in Europe or people, you know, rebelling to the COVID measures. It doesn't matter what type of resistance. Identify pockets of resistance, wipe out those pockets of resistance, and establish global Gleichschaltung, you know, ideological conformity. Um, and that's what I see uh, happening. As the system does this, it generates more and more pushback, more and more resistance. Um, and we have seen that. We've seen this dance of resistance rising up to it, and then the system cracks down on it, and so on and so forth. We're coming into the US election season. Um, and Donald Trump is running for office. If folks go back and remember the, the circus of the Trump years, um, the, the guy is running for office again. And for anyone who doesn't know, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump personally. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> the guy's running again. They've, they've indicted him. I don't know how many charges they've, they've yes. slapped on him. Four they're, indictments, I think. Everyone... Uh, at this point, gonna, we've forgotten about Stormy Daniels. It's like <laughs> they're going to put him on trial. I, I think I read they're going to put him on trial in the spring. You know, uh, it's 
the, the Max, what I'm trying to say is the the what the system cannot allow at this point is for Donald Trump to win another term of office and go back to the White House. And and I I think that we might see some rather extreme uh, measures uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen. If I could just remind people, I know I'm babbling, I'm sorry, but if I could just remind people the, 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 when, when Joe Biden was inaugurated, all right, when, when, after the, you know, the January 6th insurrection, um, you know, a bunch of, you know, three or 400 unarmed people having a riot, you know, insurrection is going to overthrow the United States government. Silly. Um, if you remember the the Biden insurrection, no one was allowed to attend. You know, you live in D.C., you know this. The entire city was, you know, locked down, soldiers in the streets, fences everywhere. Um, and, and instead of allowing people to come to the inauguration, they had a field of flags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they planted a field of, if you go back and look at that inauguration, I wrote about it, the message they were sending was incredibly clear. It's it's like we've we've crushed we've killed Donald Trump. Here's his head. We're going to put it on a spike outside the castle so everyone can see it. Right? We're going to inaugurate Joe Bard uh, Joe Biden, who can hardly get you know get through three or four sentences. We're not going to let anybody come to the inauguration. We're going to shut everything down. We're going to occupy the city with soldiers. Are you folks getting the message? <laughs> It's like yeah, we're in charge. And if you resist, we're, we'll call you QAnon. Absolutely. We'll call you QAnon. We'll call you all sorts of names. And hey, maybe we'll charge you with ridiculous, fictitious crimes if you're loud enough. The message, the message, what I see, Max, the message that the system is pumping out is we're not playing grab ass anymore. We're in charge. We want you to know that we're in charge. We're not following the old rules of democracy anymore. Um, and if you if you rebel against us, if you push back against us, we will crush you. We will crush you. And guess what? Most people, most people, we've scared them. We've terrified them into a state that they will applaud while we crush you. Right. That's the message that I'm getting. So, yeah, I think we we may have some fireworks coming up in the next year or so. Yeah, when this this will not be a normal election, I think we can conclude that and, and 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 the message was sent in the united states during the dark brandon speech by joe biden where he sort of memed himself and appeared in front of a wall of red lighting delivering this stern hectoring populist forces warning them that they will be basically jailed and taken down if they try to resist uh, we you know seen pretty much compliance from the left or, or submiss submission from the left as Donald Trump is indicted under the Espionage Act or as these septuagenarian oath keepers who kind of ran around in circles like headless chickens during January 6th on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol are sent to jail pretty much for the rest of their lives for appearing there, Stuart Rhodes mm -hmm. being one of them. I think Enrico Tario, the leader of the Proud Boys, who was at one point a police informant, is uh, facing some kind of indictment for over 30 years for January 6th, but he wasn't even present. He was arrested before January 6th took place. All of this is happening while the sort of activist left shrugs because they see these as their ideological enemies and aren't looking at the broader principle. But I wanted to ask you finally, CJ Hopkins, because you are, uh, you know, you do have this 
history as a, a satirist, a writer, someone who's been involved in intellectual life for decades on the left about the response of the intellectual left, the left intelligentsia to this global crackdown from disinformation, like look, laws against disinformation, the state counter disinformation initiative, just the crackdown on speech. And I want to point to one particular figure uh, who is known as one of probably one of the most famous left-wing writers of my generation. And I'll show you a quick video by her promoting her new book, uh, Doppelganger. And it's Naomi Klein. Mm. Um, and this is a very unusual video, but it says a lot. And I'll, you know, talk about it after you watch Klein. a little bit. And as some of you know, I have a doppelganger, a person who does many extreme things that cause strangers to chastise me or thank me or express their pity for me. I used to be horrified by this, but then something happened that I didn't expect. I got interested, interested in what it means to have a doppelganger. So I decided to follow my doppelganger to a place I've come to think of as the mirror world. It's a strange mirror image of the world where I live. It's a place where many ideas that I care about are being twisted and warped into dangerous doppelganger versions of themselves. You see Bobby Kennedy and JFK. When I look at the mirror world, I don't see disagreements over a shared reality. I see disagreements about what is real and what is a simulation. And with she's AI going, generating she's more talking about conspiracy theories. It's only getting harder to distinguish and people who don't know what's real. After all, artificial intelligence is a mirroring. So we could go on watching that. But basically, the, the thesis is of her book is that her she has the same name as Naomi Wolf, who emerged as this major critic of COVID restrictions, um, got involved with Steve Bannon and his network, though she used to be a prominent liberal who had advised Al Gore and uh, while Naomi Klein, who had written the book on disaster capitalism and psyops, sat on the sidelines during the whole COVID event, basically clapping along to Fauci and the entire liberal regime, uh, supported essentially supported lockdowns, had almost nothing to say. And now she's coming out against Naomi Wolf, claiming that she's kind of ruining her life by existing. <laughs> but what she's really seeming to be doing there is offering her expertise as someone who's been involved with radical or dissenting movements for the liberal class to crack down on populism. She's sort of offering herself as a native informant and declaring that her version of reality is the concrete reality, while everyone else is a conspiracy theorist who needs to be countered. Um, and she's gone re more recently after Robert F. Kennedy Jr., whose blurb features prominently on your book, CJ. So just to the broader issue of the left intelligentsia's response to the new normal order, which includes this gigantic crackdown on free speech, which the left has typically defended. And I don't know if you have any comments about Naomi Klein's book. 
Mm. Um, what I'd like to do, uh, Max, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to talk uh, uh, just a little bit about that clip. I had not seen that clip. I vaguely remember, uh, you know, hearing about the doppelganger thing with Klein, uh, but I, I think it's it's just so key. But to answer your first question, um, maybe I can steer folks uh, towards uh, one of my uh, essays from earlier this year in the spring. I was in London and. Um, gave a speech there, and I specifically tried to talk about, you know, what the hell has been going on with the left. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it, people can find it on my Substack. Uh, the uh, the essay was called uh, "The New Normal Left," um, and I and I got into it in 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 pretty great detail. My analysis of of why this is happening, why most of what we uh, you know, I, I'm an old lefty for anybody who doesn't know. Most of what uh, uh, we thought of as the left completely align is now completely aligned with this new nascent totalitarianism that um, that is developing. Um, I go into it in great detail, and maybe I can just ask people to uh, uh, to look at that because the answer is 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 really long and kind of complex. Um, the the thing that I, I that I that I think I can talk about quickly is that example that we just saw, uh, because it it speaks directly to what I was just talking about. I was talking about this power system that we live in, this global power system, that does not have any external uh, adversaries. And when you are a global power system that does not have any external adversaries, any external ideological adversaries. You don't need an ideology anymore in the way that we understand ideology, right? Your ideology, be, your ideology becomes reality, right? right. And, that, and that is a perfect example. I, I wrote about this in another essay that, that I encourage people to read called Pathologized Totalitarianism 101, right? The, the totalitarianism that is developing now, I believe a new form of it is developing now. It, it, it is not 20th century totalitarianism. Uh, there are similarities, many similarities, many, many differences. One of the key differences is this, right? Instead of, you know, it's not one ideology competing against another ideology. It's people like Naomi Klein saying, oh, what's wrong with these crazy, sick people who don't recognize reality. In other words, the system has taken upon itself the authority to dictate what is real, not just what is true, but what is real. Yep. And anyone who contradicts them, anyone who contradicts this narrative, you know, is they're not, a, we're not political opponents anymore. We are people who do not perceive reality correctly. And this is what I mean by pathologized totalitarianism. It is much more insidious. It erases politics. It erases the political nature of the conflict. And it turns us into deviants, into, you know, abnormal pathological deviants. And it is, it is, a, it, it, it is a feature. It's not an aberration that's happening by accident. What what Naomi, what Klein was just doing in that video is an absolutely perfect example of what I've been writing about for a couple of years now. And it's that ideology that's at the root of your prosecution in Germany and the investigation, the official investigation that preceded it of Roger Waters for performing the decidedly 
obviously anti-fascist rock opera the wall within his concert tour in germany uh they never have to explain why they're doing it they don't have to answer questions if they got it wrong the state department declared roger waters an anti-semite for that performance and doesn't have to explain why so uh i thank you for explaining this situation to us cj that it's really unfortunate but at the same time um, i think it's illustrative and it does a favor to people who aren't quite aware of what we're up against uh, when you're able to explain so articulately how uh how dire the situation is um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add. I said we'd talk for 30 minutes, but as always, um, you know, we go long. Once we, once we get going. Um, yeah. I do want to add one thing. I wrote it, uh, you know, in my last piece. Um, you, just, you just said it, Max. You know, you, you're not sure if people realize how dire the situation is. Um, uh, I just want to stress something. I, I've been working with some good people and some stuff is going to come out soon. Um, trying to defend, we're at a point where we're, we're organizing to try to defend our fundamental democratic right to free speech. That's how dire the situation is, folks, is this, this basic fundamental right, which is the foundation of all of our other rights, is under serious threat. It is, it is being, it is, it is under attack. And <clears throat> If I can just urge people, and I'm talking about uh, people, you know, if anyone, who knows, <clears throat> I'm talking about people who called, you know, people who hate my guts, who think that I'm horrible and, you know, think nasty things about Roger. You know, I, you don't have to like me. Think about this principle, <laughs> this fundamental democratic principle. If if we allow this to be destroyed, you know, then then we've got nothing. All of our all of our democratic rights, our, our other democratic rights, mean nothing if we're not free to express ourselves and to report things and to disagree with each other uh, uh, publicly. It's it's my current focus right now, Max, because I, I feel that it is seriously under attack. Uh, uh, and and if we lose it, if this succeeds. We're really headed down a dark road, and and I don't think I don't think most people are are apprehending where we are and where we're headed yet. And I I'm just urging people to 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 pay attention and to look into this stuff, um, regardless of you know regardless of whether you think I'm a you know COVID denier or conspiracy theorist or whatever. Forget about me. You know, look into this stuff yourself. Look at these bills. Look at the look at the the repression of, of free speech that's that's being carried out. Um, and think about that. Think about it. Are you willing to lose this fundamental democratic right because somebody said something that offends you? You know, I, I, I have to believe that that I have to believe that even a lot of the folks who've been calling me names and you know wanted to put us in camps. I have to believe that somewhere down there, Max, somewhere down there, they still, you know, there's still a respect for the for these democratic rights. I, I may be wrong, but I've got to believe it. Well, many people might not understand how dangerous the situation is until it happens to them. And uh, unless they're enthusiastically on the side of officialdom, it it will. So 
C.J. Hopkins, author of The New Normal Reich and German Thought Criminal. Thanks for joining us at The Gray Zone, and we'll keep following your case. Thank you, Max. It was a pleasure, as always. Absolutely.